Thanks. Well, welcome everyone to tonight's satsang. Very festive, shakti-filled atmosphere. Is it spring? <laughs> or is it good rice? <laughs> Both of which can be celebrated. So, welcome to satsang tonight. Um, and uh, I always begin my programs by remembering my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began each of his programs by saying in Hindi, Sabko Bharasanmane Kesat Prem Sehadik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that was the cornerstone of his teaching to welcome another person with love, to welcome yourself with love, and then to welcome other people with love. So, in that spirit, I want to welcome you. And in these programs, every week I celebrate uh, the being and the teaching of a different great being. I learned very early, uh, actually I learned on the night that I decided to go to India back in 1970, I, just, I uh, learned that great beings, realized yogis, uh, were alive on the planet now and I realized one thing, I had to get me one. <laughs> I had to find one and to learn from that person because the stuff that was going on in my life wasn't working. And uh, so every, uh, I still believe that the greatest resource of humanity is the great beings, the great realized beings. We celebrate some of the great realizers uh, the world over, the Buddha, a great realizer, Jesus, another one, and many others. Um, but they still exist, even today. And uh, in these programs, I look at the teachings of some of the ones that I met and some of the ones that just I have a connection with even though I may not have met them. Tonight, somebody I met, I met very many times, and that is my guru, Baba Muktananda. And this is Baba in the 60s in Ganesh Ashram, where I spent three years in the early 70s with him. Uh, what else do you have? One more? Uh, now this is from my time this is Baba in his room, and he's uh, giving a question-answer session. And I know that I was there that day. It must have been a hot day in April or May, and it, got, it gets unearthly hot there. And he's giving out some prasad that the, uh, the wife of the, the proprietor of the tea shop next door cooked up and uh, little idlis that he was giving out. And he's holding a question-answer session. So... There'll be other pictures later. Uh, um, so these are question answers that were mostly from Ganeshpuri in the early days, even before I got there, uh, but also uh, from the tour, from one of his world tours. First one, <coughs> the uh, question was someone named Mukbal. <laughs> <laughs> That must be an inside joke, huh? <laughs> Question. All right. Is it actually Mukbal? <laughs> no, no. Sometimes, Mukbal asks, sometimes I receive an impulse from within, like an inner voice, which urges me to do this or that. Should I consider this to be the voice of the self and do what it says? That's one of the big issues in our life, is listening 
to those inner voices. Now we know from our first few marriages that the inner voice doesn't always give you the truth. <laughs> so, Baba, Baba said, it is the mind's nature to be friendly sometimes and other times antagonistic. Sometimes pleased, other times unpleased. Different kinds of feelings pass constantly through the mind. Therefore, you should not attach much importance to the inner voice. As long as your mind is subject to these changes, its impulses will not always be true. <clears throat> this is a great phrase that I heard many times from Baba. Do not attach much importance to these thoughts. Do not attach much importance. People say, Baba, I have a lot of anger. Don't attach much importance to it. And he was always teaching us to distance ourselves from these negative movements and so on. Do not we attach so much importance to our different thoughts and feelings and our ideas and our uh, opinions. And by attaching so much importance to it, we get caught in them and we get, create a lot of uh, difficulty. So he says, as long as you're doing sadhana, when you're practicing, your mind's not really reliable. And so don't attach so much importance to it. He says, <clears throat> only after you've achieved perfect realization will your inner voice become completely dependable. Now there is a, what I call the voice of the self within everyone. There's a, a voice of certainty. The same voice that spoke through Moses and the same voice that spoke through Ramana Maharshi and Bhagwan Nityananda, that same voice of certainty and truth is in there, but it's mixed up. There are other voices, the voice of desire, the voice of fear, the voice of fantasy, uh, all kinds of voices that are uncertain. And it takes a long time to distinguish that true voice and to pick it out and to listen to it. He says, after you attain the goal of yoga and attain the self, then that voice will be reliable. <clears throat> now it's still tainted with the different gunas. You know, there's a theory in India of the three gunas. Many of you know about it. It's in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, Raja, Rajas, Tamas, and Sattva. Uh, and that these three elements uh, are always at play in the world. Sattva is purity, and they usually describe it as white metaphorical. Uh, then there's rajas, which is like red, it's usually considered red, and it's desire, activity. And then tamas, which is black, which is kind of ignorance and sloth. And so we're all combinations of these three. Sometimes one comes forward, sometimes another. And our minds go through these different states. Sometimes it's rajasic, our mind wants to be entertained. Sometimes it's slothful and dull and we just stare at the tube all day. Uh, sometimes it's sattvic. And we, what do we do when it's sattvic? Meditate, meditate. meditate. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, sometimes tamoguna, sometimes rajaguna, sometimes sattvaguna. So you should not attach much importance to it, he says again. During the period of sadhana, during the period where you're working on yourself, you're meditating and practicing, trying to attain the self, you should listen to the one who's initiated your sadhana and not depend much upon your inner inspiration. <clears throat> However, once your sadhana is consummated, when you attain the goal, you can rely totally on the inner inspiration. So the point is, 
Uh, Bob is saying inner inspiration is great if it's purified and if it's reliable. <clears throat> the Lord says in the Gita that whatever thoughts arise in the mind, whether favorable or unfavorable, are products of the interplay of the three gunas. The Lord tells Arjuna to transcend the three gunas and become free from them. It's another way of talking about the purification of the mind. Get rid of desire and fear and laziness and all these negative qualities, and then the voice of the self will, will shine through. So I found a few other things now. The, the rest of it is going to have to do with Baba and Kashmir Shaivism. <clears throat> Many of you know that uh, uh, Baba taught the philosophy of Kashmir Shaivism, uh, and uh, he spread it around the whole world. The philosophy of Kashmir Shaivism says that everything is consciousness, that everything comes from consciousness and returns to consciousness. It's very similar to Advaita Vedanta, except that it doesn't say the world is unreal. It says the world is real, but it's a play of consciousness, as you'll hear. <clears throat> Sometime in the, probably in the 60s, Baba came across the philosophy of Kashmir Shaivism. <laughs> Now before that, he'd had his own inner experience and he'd attained the goal and so on, but he found out that there was a philosophy that exactly met his experience. And so he started reading these books on Kashmir Shaivism. And uh, so these are some early teachings from the, from the uh, mid-60s. It's from a, a collection of conversations with Baba in the mid-60s, long before I met him. So the first, uh, first one is from March 4th, 1965. Draupadi Singh, a West Indian lady, has been staying in the ashram for seven weeks. She's studied yoga at many ashrams in India during the past 10 years. After meeting Baba and receiving his grace in the form of Shaktipat, the awakening of the Kundalini energy, she finally feels satisfied. Baba gave her the book Pratyabhijna Vridayam. Don't be scared of that. That's a, it's a long title, but the book is very concise. It gives the whole picture of Kashmir Shaivism uh, in 20 aphorisms. And it's a, it's a wonderful, concise study of Kashmir Shaivism. <clears throat> and today she discussed it with him. Now, uh, this gives me a great opportunity. Do we have the picture of... Uh, in my day, Baba... Baba met with Baba um, met with all the Western girls and he posed for a picture. And if you give me the, the arrow, can we get it a little darker here? Turn. How do you do that? Top button? Okay. Oh there it is. Oh, now Dropity, I can hardly see it. Where is she there? Where is she? Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's Can you see her in there? Yeah. Is that my fault? That's Tamananda. Little one there. That's Dropity. She later became a Swami, Swami Atmananda. And she uh, had an ashram in the West Indies. And uh, so there, oh, there's Baba. And uh, there's Chandra. And Amma. And I was, um, I was working in the lower garden. <laughs> I was, um, 
I was the head of the lower garden. I was watering plants and so on. And I saw all this kerfuffle and <laughs> honestly, when I saw this picture, I couldn't believe it. Now, isn't that great? That's me. I thought, like, what's going on here? I had a little bit of FOMO. I got that picture in just on the excuse of showing you who Dropity was. <laughs> uh, Gurija's there too, isn't she? Yeah, can you point to her in the back? In the back. Yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there are so many others. Anyway, so here's a little conversation with uh, Dropity. Dropity says, Babaji, I read in Pratyabhijna Ridayam, which means, the heart of the doctrine of self-recognition. The, the Kashmir Shaivite doctrine of self-recognition says that you don't have to invent the self. All you have to do is recognize the self, because it's always there. So it's a matter of self-recognition. It's something you knew was there, but you hadn't identified properly. And so this book is the heart of the doctrine of self-recognition. The self is always with us. It's just hidden in the, the, the mess of our experience, the complexity of our emotions and thoughts. And we can't find that self. But if we learn to recognize it, to cognize, cognize again, to see it, we knew it, but we lost it somehow. And, and it's very familiar when we discover it. So this is what the doctrine is. So she says, I read in Pratyabhijnavridayam that Shiva himself becomes the individual soul. But I do not understand how this transformation occurs. The Ninth Sutra says, by the contraction of Shakti, that which is of the form of consciousness, is covered with impurities and becomes a samsari, a worldly soul. What is the meaning of the contraction of Shakti? So Shaivism says is that consciousness begins as pure awareness. It's completely expanded, full of bliss, full of light. And then to become us, it contracts itself. And it loses some of its bliss. It loses some of its light. It loses some of its freedom, but not really, only apparently. And so it contracts. This is the way Shaivism talks about it. <clears throat> Baba says, once in a while in a transcendent state of bliss, don't you feel that state of bliss? Don't you feel that you are Shiva? And again, at other times, don't you feel that you are Draupadi? This is known as the contraction of Shakti. This is the result of changes in attitude. <clears throat> so that's the key thing. Everything depends on our attitude. You know, if we, uh, if we go to a, a party or something, if our attitude is good, we like the party. If our attitude is bad, we hate the party. Now, nothing to do with the party. It's all in our attitude. Um, we think it has to do with it. But it's, attitude becomes everything. And depending on our inner attitude, our life is miserable or it can be great. Depends on how we look at it. And that's what Shaivism says. <clears throat> Another one. This is also early. This, let's see, this, this happened just before that, February of 65. 
And now Baba is, well, you'll hear it. Since morning, the narrator says, Baba's been sitting in the compound of a specialist bungalow called Valley View in Mahabaleshwar, reading Prakibhijna Vridayam, with a com commentary by Shivani Yogi. <clears throat> so, sometimes uh, in those days, Baba would go to this uh, Mahabaleshwar near Ganeshpur. It's a hill station where you can, uh, and he would spend time alone writing and so on. He wrote his autobiography, Play of Consciousness, there a few years later. <clears throat> but he's up there and he's in the valley, and Sri Yogendrabai arrived, and Baba began talking with him. Sri Yogendrabai, we knew as Papa. And he was Amma's brother. There was Papa and Amma. So he was a good friend of Baba's. So uh, he was not a scholar, as you'll see. Baba says, What can I say, Trivediji? This book is really sublime. The essence of Shiva Shakti. Shaktipat, it's even superior to Vedanta. According to Vedanta, the world is unreal, whereas in Shaivism, the world not only said to be real, but also filled with consciousness. See, Baba had been schooled classically in Vedanta, uh, Advaita Vedanta, which says that this world is unreal, and he studied it intensely, uh, but there was something missing in it he didn't like, and only when he read this, it said that's what it really is. You can't say the world's unreal. It is real, it's divine, it's the play of consciousness. <clears throat> so, uh, Papa says, and <laughs> he says, isn't it possible to explain the truth in a few words? Is it necessary to read so many books to understand it? If it is, then those who have read the books should all be siddhas, all be realized beings, because they've learned everything from the books. So that's a kind of a complaint about anti-intellectual, isn't he? He doesn't, you know. Baba says, there's a great distinction between merely, being merely learned and being a yani, being a realized being. Those who have read intensively can give lectures and are learned, while those who have realized God are yanis. So Baba's making the distinction that we talk about as between first education and second education. First education being our conventional education and everything we learn at university and so on, which is intellectual knowledge, historical knowledge, so on. Uh, but second education is the inner education, the, inner, the education of the soul, the ed education of, to calm the mind, and we call it yoga. This is second education. So the goal of Shaivism is not intellectual, it's experiential, it's to transform us so that we know the self. <clears throat> Papa says, how can God-realization be achieved? That's the good question. Baba said, this is, <clears throat> Baba said, not everyone can attain God-realization. I've never heard him say that before. It is a result of many lifetimes of tapasya, of hard work. When, when Sri Krishna was born, <clears throat> his mother told Narada with great pride, You've been, you've been so devoted to Bhagwan, but he has taken birth in my womb. He's telling the sage Narada, you've been a great devotee of God, 
but he was born to me. She was proud of being the mother of Krishna, and why wouldn't you be? <clears throat> That's like having a, a child who uh, won, uh, what do you call it? What is that show? The X Factor. <laughs> <laughs> American Idol, no, Australian Idol, right? Yeah, anyway, Narada explained, I know the truth of the matter. Saying this, he covered her eyes with his hands and showed her several of her past lives. When she understood that Krishna had been born to her because of intense tapasya, then she understood that he'd been born to her, that she deserved it by doing a lot of yoga in past lives. <clears throat> in our ashram, Baba says, some people receive Shaktipat immediately upon arriving, while others stay for two or three years and remain unchanged. Your friend Bhaskarbhai Desai experienced the Ketri Mudra as soon as he came to the ashram. The Ketri Mudra, well, it's a Hatha Yoga Mudra where the tongue curls back uh, into the palate and, and, touch, and goes way back uh, and touches the place back here, and then you go into samadhi. Um, I've, I've, I've told in the past that when I was with, um, before I met Baba, I was with Haridas Baba, and um, we were living with him in, in Hardwar, and uh, a, a fellow, an older guy, came and said, you teach me Ketri Mudra. And uh, Haridas Baba said, I don't do that. And he explained to me that the, the way the yogis do it, um, it they have to uh, first, they cut the, under the tongue, they call it the frenum, and they loosen the tongue, and then they stretch the tongue so it can reach back there. They call it milking. They, they pull it, and they, they put some stuff on it, and they keep pulling, and then finally it reaches back. He says he didn't, he, and around Baba, that would happen spontaneously. The Shakti would occasionally do that to people. It would actually happen, and they didn't have to cut it. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, Bhaskarbhai Desai experienced it as soon as he came to the ashram. People vary in their worthiness to obtain knowledge. <clears throat> Papa says, so Papa didn't like that because he, he had either knowledge or kriyas or anything. <laughs> he says, <clears throat> uh, he found his kundalini uh, in a bottle of uh, uh, Johnny Walker. <laughs> He's passed on a long time ago. What is the importance of the Kedri Mudra and other such yogic kriyas? Baba said, all these kriyas lead to internal purification, these movements these, that happen spontaneously. The passage, the passage in the Sushumna Nadi is cleared out, enabling the prana to travel through without obstruction to the Sahasrar. So one description of Kundalini awakening is that it's a movement from back, the base of the spine of the inner energy up the spine, the subtle spine, till it reaches here. Um, and so there's a process of purification, of opening of the different centers, chakras. It means uh, your heart, which might be closed, uh, full of uh, negative emotions, is purified and opens up. And then your third eye, which might be uh, dark and ignorant, gets illumined and so on. And finally, the energy ends up up here, this is what happens through the process of Shaktipat. He said, Baba says, after becoming purified in this way, a seeker no longer experiences any pain or misery, 
even though calamity and misfortune may occur. It doesn't guarantee that bad things don't happen, but your reaction to that is completely different. Such a seeker is contented and happy under all circumstances. Peace and contentment are not dependent on external circumstances, but on the inner state. Papa says, <clears throat> can't the state be achieved through knowledge? Are yoga kriyas necessary in order to achieve this state? <laughs> Baba says, even after obtaining knowledge, Shaktipat is essential in order to preserve it. The awakening must happen from, from the guru. Papa, <clears throat> is there anything else that, that should be done to maintain the state of knowledge? So that's a good question. He's asking for the spiritual direction instead of complaining. And Baba says, contemplate Shiva. We could say contemplate the self, contemplate consciousness, contemplate the highest, however you conceive it. He says, remember the name of God ceaselessly. Say the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, Guru Om, whatever the mantra is, say the mantra, because the mantra helps calm the mind. The mind thinks all kinds of thoughts. Mantra stabilizes and connects it. Everything becomes possible with the Guru's grace. In fact, without it, all other types of practice are nothing but various kinds of exercises. So that's uh, that one. Let's see, one more. About, about uh, Pratyabhigna Vridayam. <clears throat> this happened in November of 66, uh, a couple of years, a year later. Uh, the writer says, this morning at 9 o'clock, uh, Professor Umedbai Manayar came to the ashram with Mr. Uma Shankar Joshi, his daughter Swati, and another friend. Uma Shankar is a well-known scholar and poet. I actually uh, look him up on Wikipedia, and it's true. Uh, that he was a well-known poet. Uh, currently, he's the head of the Linguistic Studies Department at Gujarat University, and on December 1st, he will become vice chancellor of the university. He was a prominent poet, and he did become vice chancellor of the university. So he came to visit Baba in his ashram in Ganeshpuri. All the visitors went out to the garden where Baba was sitting, and Professor Maniar introduced everyone to him. Baba talked to them lovingly and started showing them the garden. So I got a, a couple of pictures of Baba in the garden uh, in the early days of the ashram, long before I got there. Do we have a couple? Yeah, let's look at that. That's interesting. I'll give me the, uh, the pointer. You got the pointer? button. Okay, that's Baba sitting there. And those who read my book, that's Babu Shetty there. He was a, a mentor of mine later. <clears throat> and uh, this fellow is uh, Babu Rao, who, uh, who did a lot of the chanting in the ashram. This is the early days I can barely recognize it. Uh, Baba did most of the gardening himself. And the other one? Got another picture? Oh, you have to click, click it forward? Yeah, forward, yeah. I did it. Okay, there they are. That's the way. That was, that's the lower garden, which I was in charge of a few years later. 
<laughs> so, Baba says, you can keep that up now. Baba is bragging about it. The leaves, fruit, and other parts of these trees have so many uses. They often have medicinal value. The juice of guava is an antidote for liquor intoxication. There's a bit of esoteric for you. <clears throat> a particular kind of abdominal pain can be cured by applying the leaves of swallowwort on the stomach. Do you know what swallowwort is? I think I could use it. <laughs> swallowwort? We'll have to find out. <clears throat> Uma Shankar says, that's the professor. Uh, yes, Baba, my father used to put them on his stomach. Baba, if you walk, now he makes a joke, if you walk around the swallowwort, you obtain wealth. <laughs> But this is known only to the Mawaris. They're like the merchant community in Gujarat. Uh, not to others, and they all laugh. Baba made a joke about it. Uh, Uma Shankar, yes, because they not only worship uh, God, they also worship Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth. Uma Shankar says, I read the book Pratyabhijna Vridayam on Kashmir Shaivism, but I could not understand it. You know, it's true that uh, now a lot of us have read it and we understood it, but uh, in those days, with nobody to help you, it would be very hard to understand. Even now, if you got Jaidev Singh's translation, I dare you to read that on your own. <laughs> but you can get Swami Shankarananda's book, Consciousness is Everything, <laughs> and there's a very good section on Pratyabhigna Ridayam in it. Very lucid, I might say. <laughs> So anyway, Baba says, such mystical books can be understood only by the grace of the guru or God. It is stated in the very beginning of the book, and there's a quote, only a few seekers who are full of devotion and who have a desire to achieve oneness with the Supreme Self can, after Shaktipat initiation, begin to grasp the teachings herein. Uma Shankar says, yes, the essence of the entire Shaivite doctrine has been given in just 20 sutras. Okay, okay, we can take the picture down. Sutras are pithy aphorisms, you could say, yogic aphorisms. <clears throat> Baba says, you studied the book quite thoroughly. You even remember the number of sutras it contains. <clears throat> These few sutras express the entire essence of the philosophy that everything in the world is consciousness. In fact, Pradyabhigna shows how consciousness contracts and becomes all of us, and then we go through our process, and then we, we eventually turn to the path of yoga, and we try to find out who we really are, and then we expand ourselves back to the, to the source again. So we do this full circle. In the 20 sutras, it explains all of that. <clears throat> Baba says, this consciousness, or chitti, is absolutely independent and creates this manifold world. She possesses the power to create many from one and one from many. The same chitti dwells in man in the form of kundalini. So this mysterious kundalini is nothing but the power of consciousness which is latent within us. It, you know, Baba said there are two aspects of the kundalini. One is the external, and through that power, we're alive. Obviously, there's consciousness power operating all of us because we're conscious, 
and we can do things and so on, but there's still a part of it that's asleep. And that part of it that's asleep is the spiritual knowledge, the knowledge of the self. And that can only be awakened through yogic practice and through Shaktipat. He goes on. Uma Shankar says, yes, she dwells in human beings in a contracted form. He's been reading it. Baba. She is also all-pervading. She exists contracted, but she also pervades the universe. Uma Shankar, the text says that everything is covered with impurities. Mala is the word they use. Even the individual soul is said to be covered with impurities. I think impurities is a unfortunate word. It means it's contract. There's a contraction, contraction. But Baba says, yes, as long as the divine Shakti is not awakened, one remains a jiva, an individual soul. After her awakening, one becomes Shiva. After this awakening takes place, which is discussed in all traditions, they talk about uh, the awakening, uh, enlightenment experiences, Satori, and so on, in various traditions. So it's a different way of seeing, a different understanding, a different energy moving. Uh, and then Baba quotes, what is my favorite sutra in all of Shaivism? Uh, I am Shakti Daridra Samsari Uchyate Svashakti Vikase Tu Shiva Eva. He is a bound soul who has poverty of Shakti. It means that we are in bondage because we lack energy. We have, we're contracted, we lack energy. In the next line, Svashakti Vikase Tu Shiva then when we expand our Shakti, our inner energy, and expand it, we become Shiva himself. We're so much less than what we can be. And we, we, all, we know it. Every one of us knows it. That's why we're always seeking some solution to our life, whether it's money or a relationship or whatever it is. Uh, we, f we feel it. And um, it's saying that only through practice, through yoga, through inner work, through spirituality, you can grow in this new way and then you become everything you should be and you discover the divinity within you. Uh, Uma Sanko says, this scripture can only be understood with the help of a guru. <laughs> Baba says, one needs a teacher to learn even the normal things of daily life. So why wouldn't one need a teacher in this? Since this is the most difficult of all things, why wouldn't you have a teacher? Various arts and sciences, such as driving, cooking, carpentry, and so forth, are all learned either by observing someone else or through instruction. Like to make rice, you have to have <laughs> proper, proper tuition. <clears throat> In the same way, spiritual knowledge has to be learned from a guru. The guru is said to be the grace-bestowing power of God. Uma Shankar says, the guru is also the same chitti shakti? Baba says, yes, the guru has, is that power which bestows the grace of God on the disciple. The guru is invested with the power of awakening of the inner energy through his being invested by his guru. There's a lineage in which this awakening takes place. God bestows his grace through the guru. One of the Shiva Sutras says, Guru Rupaya, the guru is the means. 
Umashankar, Guru Paya, that is, you must go to the Guru to receive the Shakti. Baba says, yes. As soon as the disciple receives the Shakti, his Sushumna begins to open. That's the central canal. And his own Shakti is activated, his own energy. The seeker experiences great inner bliss. Another sutra says, uh, this is Pratyabhigna's 17th sutra, Madhya Vikasat Chirananda Labaha. By the opening, by, by the expansion of the Sushumna, the middle one, the middle path, one obtains the bliss of the self. When, when this other way of being manifests, the energy moves inwardly, one attains bliss. Umashankar says, is the tradition of Shaktipat still alive or has it come to an end? Of course, he's talking to Shaktipat general, uh, Muktananda's legendary Shaktipat guru. He gave Shaktipat to thousands all over the world. Uh, but his mission hadn't begun, so he naively asked that. Baba says, it is not ended, nor will it ever come to an end. It means that, that at, at this stage of the evolution of humanity, relatively few people are interested deeply in spirituality. Relatively few. <clears throat> more, more, many more are interested in the grand final than in spirituality. Um, however, there will always be available, the awakening and this connection is always available to those who have that interest. And I know in my own life, nothing could be further from my mind than spiritual interest in my early days. I had no interest in any of that. I was uh, allergic to any notion of God or spirit. I thought it was all woo-woo. And, um, and then suddenly, through a concatenation of events, well beyond my control, uh, suddenly I was mad for it. And uh, I was ready to give up my life and go seeking across the globe for that, for that awakening. So you, never, you can't control these things. It happens when it happens. <clears throat> he says, it never will come to an end. Yanashwa Maharaj has very clearly indicated his own lineage. Adinath, Matyendranath, Goraknath, Gahininath, Navritinath, and then Yanashwa himself. It's a lineage of yogis. One yogi passes this knowledge on to another. It's the disciplic succession, just like the Catholic Church uh, was passed on to St. Peter and so on. So there's a disciplic succession. One must understand this science thoroughly. <clears throat> what can a, a, a sadhu, what, what can a yogi achieve just by piercing his ears, applying sacred ash, wearing a loincloth, and repeating Shiva Shiva? <clears throat> you must discover which mantra the guru repeated to achieve perfection. You must say the guru mantra, not just make up some mantra. Uma Shankar, is it necessary to follow a technique in this branch of knowledge? Baba, you must know certain essential things, such as who the guru is, in truth, what the guru is, what kundalini is, what shaktipat is, the meaning of chit shakti, and so forth. Uma Shankar, is it good to awaken Kundalini through Hatha Yoga? Baba, yes, Hatha Yoga is good, but Kundalini should never be disturbed or provoked. 
she must never be subjected to any force. Otherwise, negative results will happen. The simplest method of awakening Kundalini is by receiving the Guru's grace through Shaktipat. There will be no obstacles on this path. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, the, the writer says, another satsang took place in the evening. In those days, it wasn't anything formal. Baba would come out and talk to whoever was around. And so he went in, came out again in the evening, and Umashanka was still there. He says, if all the work is performed by Chitti Shakti, then Shiva has no significance. Because Shiva and Shakti, so it's the Shakti, the feminine aspect, does all the work. Shiva is useless. And Baba says, yes, that is so. <laughs> <clears throat> it is said in Sundarya Lahiri, which is a, 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 a tantric text on the goddess and so on, Kundalini. Shiva is able to create the universe only when united with Shakti. Without Shakti, can it even vibrate? Shiva without Shakti is like a corpse. Famous statement, Shiva is Shava. Shiva is a corpse without Shakti, or needs Shakti. <clears throat> Baba goes on, according to the Shaivite doctrine, Parmashiva and Shakti, no, Parmashiva, Shiva and Shakti are the three main principles. Parmashiva is without attributes, motionless, and of the nature of supreme bliss. So that's like Brahman in Vedanta. <clears throat> he is supreme existence and supreme knowledge. The first wave arising in him as idam, this, is Shiva. The first, this, first is just this consciousness without any motion. And then a wave of motion happens that's Shiva. And the vibration of that wave is Shakti. So first the wave occurs and then the, it starts to vibrate, and that's Shakti. She's also known as Parashakti or Paravat, which is the supreme word. So, so she has the three aspects of will, knowledge, and action. The ecstatic dance of Shiva and Shakti brings this world into existence. The myriad forms even in the world are Shakti's own forms. This is what Shaivism says, that everything comes from consciousness, manifests this way. And Baba says, once when Dr. Brahma Prakash, director of the atomic energy plant in Bombay, was here, he explained that according to the principles of physics, all matter is energy. Isn't that E equals MC square, matter and energy? Uh, I replied, then there's no difference at all between your doctrine and ours. What you call energy, we call Brahma or Chitti Shakti. There's one little difference. That uh, to have, say that energy and matter are one, but consciousness is left out. Because Shaivism would say that, that that energy and that matter are, have also the quality of consciousness. Then you'd have the complete thing. And Umashankar says, the philosopher and the science have come very close to each other. Baba says, yes, you're right. So that's how that dialogue ended. <clears throat> and before I end, I just um, uh, Mahashakti, who I don't think is here tonight, maybe is watching. Is Mahashakti watching? No? You'll have to, somebody will have to tell her. Uh, she gave me this from a, just to amplify what Baba said, a letter in 1950 Albert Einstein wrote. 
A human being is a part of the whole, called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. So contraction of consciousness, right? He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings, as something separated from the rest, <coughs> a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. It's exactly what Shaivism says, pardon me. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires <coughs> and to attraction, affection for a few persons nearest to us. <coughs> Mind sign goes on. Pardon me for a second. As soon as I quoted Einstein, I got a fit. I had a <coughs> Our task must be free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature and its beauty. <coughs> so he has a notion of sadhana, of spiritual practice. Nobody is able to achieve this completely, he says. Well, I would disagree with that. I've met beings who have. <clears throat> but the striving for such achievement is in part, is itself a part of the liberation and foundation for inner security. So he has a notion of the path and security. That's very interesting. <clears throat> so there you are. Baba's early encounter with Shaivism. Shaivism uh, has become a very complex topic. Uh, it's even taught in universities and people try to study the minutia of it and write thesis about it and, uh, and so on. And, um, <clears throat> but the essence of it is very simple. And we're going to go into the essence of it now. The essence of it can be found in meditation by turning within and exploring our inner world. And when you turn inside, you're turning to the world of awareness, of consciousness. And when you get to the heart of that awareness, you discover Shiva, you discover the self, you discover joy, you discover peace. That's the essence of who we are. So let's meditate on the self for 10 minutes. <clears throat> and we focus inside. According to Shaivism, every one of us has this divine place within us. Even though we feel restless, and unfulfilled, this place is fulfilled and peaceful. Even though we feel angry, this place is nothing but love. Even though we're fearful, this place is nothing but a feeling of completeness and security. And that's a place within us. We have to explore and go inside and find that place. So we'll meditate now for 10 minutes on the self. If it's hard for you to meditate, Take the help of the mantra. The mantra of our tradition is written up here. Om Namah Shivaya. Just repeat it gently to yourself and let other thoughts waft away. Don't pay much attention to them. Pay attention only to the essence, to the true self, to the place of love, the place of joy, the place of peace that already exists within you. Whenever you have an experience, of love, of joy, of peace, and we've all had many of them. 
that experience didn't come about by the thing that triggered it. It, it, was, it came about from within us. So it's all there ready to be tapped. And we can tap it directly by looking within. So let's meditate on the self. We'll meditate for 10 minutes once again with great respect and love. I welcome you all with all my heart. Akunat Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. Thank you.